Welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Join us as we explore classic Anglicanism through thoughtful and informative conversation within the bounds of the Christian faith once received. I'm your host, Canon Zachary. At the 2023 Convocation of the Jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy, Bishop Derek Jones hosted several training lectures for our chaplains. Over the next few episodes, we'd like to share these excellent talks with our wider listening audience. And while some of the lectures reference visual material, we still believe you'll benefit greatly from these audio recordings. It was my great pleasure to offer one of these lectures, and so today you'll hear from me on the subject of why we use social media. Uh, This afternoon, I have the opportunity to speak to you on something that involves so many of us on a daily basis. And the title of this session will form the outline of our time together. Why we use social media, the chemical high of affirmation, identity in Christ, and holy orders will quite literally discuss first why we use social media. And this will be a theological reflection rather than a media strategy. And we'll actually uh, use a little bit of, quite a lot actually, of C.S. Lewis to help us understand why we are drawn to social media and the potential pitfalls that may exist in that desire to draw near. And next, we'll move to a strategy for how to use social media by looking to the remainder of the title, The Chemical High of Affirmation, Identity in Christ, and Holy Orders. And we'll do this by looking at those three areas in terms of frequency of engagement, the sacramentality of our engagement, and the authority under which we engage. So in preparation for this session, Psalm 69 struck a deep chord during the daily office. And I would ask that as I read these words out loud, that you would simply ruminate on them as we submit to our responsibility in social media. Let not those who trust in you, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed because of me, Let not those who seek you be confounded through me, O God of Israel. We would do well to put these words of ours perhaps on our desktop or lock screen of our devices as a daily reminder before we post. Speaking of devices, I am often reminded of them when I am praying. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Something to think about. For the bulk of our time together, I would like to focus on why we use social media. Uh, And we're going to be looking at C.S. Lewis's The Inner Ring and a couple of other of his works. Upon receiving this assignment, I first looked at why we use social media from a media strategy point of view. And this seemed a natural intent for... uh, you know, sort of what I'm involved with, with the jurisdiction as the canon for formational outreach and with communications. But the more I engaged with Bishop Mike and Bishop Mark, as well as our fellow canons in the jurisdiction, I began to think through that, just quite frankly, talking about a strategic view of communication left me wanting. And we are in a holy order of chaplains. We take seriously the admonishment to take up 
and read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures, as Archdeacon Patrick reminded us of this morning. This is a theological work, and theology should fuel the practical nature of our work. So we'll get to the practical, we'll get to the how, after we've dived deeper into the theological nature of why. I, I love this particular piece from C.S. Lewis's talk, The Inner Ring. I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. C.S. Lewis perhaps could not have imagined the instantaneous social media we have today, though he did not shy from the practicality of communication. However, he, he was and still is a keen communicator on communication in relation to human nature and both of those things in relation to a holy and righteous God. As such, we'll begin our look into the why of social media, starting with this lesser work, lesser known work of Lewis's called The Inner Ring. The Inner Ring was a talk given by C.S. Lewis and presented to undergraduates for the memorial lecture at King's College, London in 1944. Lewis began his talk by reading from Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, and the reading describes a general officer being made to wait to speak with Prince Andre, who was a captain, and while the prince leisurely converses with Boris, a lieutenant, Lewis says of the reading, quote, in the passage I have just read from Tolstoy, the young second lieutenant, Boris Dubretskoy, discovers that there exist in the army two different systems of hierarchies. The one is printed in some little red book and anyone can easily read it up. It also remains constant. A general is always superior to a colonel, a colonel to a captain. The other is not printed anywhere, nor is it even a formally organized secret society with officers and rules which you would be told after you had been admitted. You are never formally or explicitly admitted by anyone. You discover gradually in almost indefinable ways that it exists and that you are outside it and then perhaps that you are inside it." End quote. So Lewis called this informal group the inner ring and he continues by saying, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire, and here Lewis is talking about the desire to be in the inner ring is going to be one of the chief motives of your life from the first day on which you enter your profession until the day you are too old to care. And then Lewis prescribes a way forward for professionals to deal with this desire. And I ask you that you pay particular attention to his language and for our purposes, keep social media in mind as we listen to his words nearly 80 years in the future. Lewis writing here, the quest for the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. If in your working hours you make the work your end, you will presently find yourself all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. You will be one of the sound craftsmen the other sound craftsmen will know it. 
This group of craftsmen will by no means coincide with the inner ring or the important people or the people in the know. It will not shape the professional policy or work up that professional influence which fights for the profession as a whole against the public. Nor will it lead to those periodic scandals and crises which the inner ring produces. But it will do those things which that profession exists to do and will in the long run be responsible for all the respect which that profession in fact enjoys and which the speeches and advertisements cannot maintain, end quote. If for a moment we superimpose Lewis's words onto the phenomena of social media, I believe we begin to get a glimpse into the grip with which we grapple. The why of social media is all about the inner ring. And whether it is professional influence, relational influence, familial influence, or community influence, the desire, the desire to know and be known drives most of what we do in the sphere of social media. Some of us handle this sphere better than others. I, for one, have discovered in no small part of being tasked with presenting this lecture with this particular title that I am quite miserable at handling my desires in the sphere of social media. I, for one, have difficulty not sharing what I know so that you know what I know. I likewise have difficulty ignoring what others don't know, especially when they don't know it incorrectly. As a result, I choose not to be on social media anymore. Not because I believe social media or inner rings to be a moral vice, but like Lewis, I believe that our desire within that sphere can make us what he calls scoundrels. Indeed, Lewis believes that most of us are not currently scoundrels and that just by the law of averages, some of us will grow up to be scoundrels. He believes that we first tiptoe towards the wrong path in life when we are tempted to be included in the in-group of a nefarious person. Recently, before I left social media for good, a person not from this jurisdiction invited me to become a part of a private group whose sole purpose seemed to be the denigration of a particular ACNA bishop. My first thought was, what kind of jerk is this guy? My next thought was, what kind of jerk must I appear if this guy thinks me worthy of such a group? While this inner ring was not tempting, it certainly caused me to think about other inner rings and my potential desire to be in them, around them, or create them. When we take this to the logical conclusion, it can leave one feeling some definitive pointlessness, being obsessed by the craving to associate with a particular group. What Lewis points out is that each time we link to a fresh inner circle, the charm vanishes. Its uniqueness wears off. Concurrently, another inner ring becomes known that catches our attention, and we're off like a hapless golden retriever chasing after squirrels in the park. Lewis equates this futility to peeling an onion. If you succeed, he says, 
you'll be left with nothing. What Lewis alludes to here is something he gives a much more thorough treatment in a greater known work called Mere Christianity. In his chapter, The Great Sin, Lewis outlines what I believe fuels the why of social media, namely pride. Lewis sums it this way. Now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Let me read that again. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Lewis goes on to explain how the pride, uh, proud man is always looking down on other people and other things, and he rightly points out, if one is always looking down, he can hardly see what is above. Which is why you and I should pray for those who look down on us because they may not have yet seen or had a view of God And Lewis said, as he warns us, any of us may at any moment be in this death trap. When we look down on others, it is certainly because we are not looking up. In the problem of pain, Lewis further illustrates our position by writing, if God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. This is why Lewis, in describing pride and its origins, says it doesn't come from our animal nature. In other words, that it doesn't come as a result of corrupted, corrupted and damnable flesh garnering bad habits over the millennia of fallen nature. No, rather Lewis describes pride as coming, quote, direct from hell. He puts it this way, the devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting up in you a dictatorship of pride. The dictatorship of pride, which Lewis capitalizes, by the way, is something that the devil would love for you and me to stamp around in like Napoleon in The Great Divorce. Nothing would give the devil, which Lewis doesn't capitalize, More glee than to cure the common cold, only to later give us cancer. For Lewis, pride, which he does capitalize, is a cancer. It devours even the possibility of what Lewis sums up as love, contentment, or even common sense. As we look to the landscape of social media and setting aside any sentimentality and idea of love as simply being being nice to one another... There is very little, if any, biblical love, contentment, or least of all, common sense in the sphere of social media. And I believe that we can see how we might deceive ourselves into portraying a loving, content, and common sense curated life on social media, a life in which even privately, and especially privately, because social media is primarily a lurking place, a life that allows us to safely look down on others. And this is the slippery, insidious nature of pride. While social media could be seen as a neutral between virtue and vice, the intent with which we engage social media is always on razor's edge. 
This leads me to believe that the only reason to be on social media is to know and or be known. Either or both of these reasons can be undertaken with the most noble of intentions, all the while viewing the sphere of social media as a neutral playing ground. But the driving desire to be in the inner ring and the pride that potentially fuels that desire crouches at our login screen. And just as there is actually no bottom to the drunkard's glass, the devil looks for someone to devour at the distillery of discord, the pharmacy of Facebook, the tavern of Twitter, or the libations that await on LinkedIn. Lewis concludes his lecture as follows. We are told in Scripture that those who ask get. This is true in senses I can't explore. But in another sense, there is much truth to the schoolboy's principle, them as ask shan't have. To a young person just entering on adult life, the world seems full of insides, full of delightful intimacies and confidentialities, and he desires to enter them. But if he follows that desire, he will reach no inside that is worth reaching. The true road lies in quite another direction. It is like the house in Alice through the looking glass. So just as Lewis shares a bit about the motive of the inner ring and a good deal about how to navigate life given the realities of the inner ring, I believe it necessary to speak about how we should navigate social media. The why of social media in the realm of the individual is to know or be known and or be known. The intent and the temperance behind the why gives moral value to the equation. And so given that, many of us will continue in the sphere of social media, how then should we use it? We should approach social media in Christian liberty. And I would commend to you a reading or rereading of C.S. Lewis's book three on Christian behavior in mere Christianity. In these some 80-odd uh, pages, you'll discover a clear and concise approach to moral but not moralistic behavior, of self-aware but not selfish intent, of sanctified but not sanctimonious reflection. Just as Lewis says that the Christian faith has never been a teetotaling religion, for he says that belongs to the Mohammedans, we are nevertheless, nevertheless to lead godly, righteous, and sober lives. And it is with that Christian liberty that we now proceed. How to use social media. I will hold that if we are to use social media at all, we should use it sparingly, sacredly, and submissively. Sparingly, sacredly, and submissively. In each section, we'll look to some key information about how to engage, and each section will conclude with a relevant reading from the bishop's policy on social media. Let's look at the chemical high of affirmation. The chemical high realities of virtual reality are only now coming to be realized. I'll quote to you from an article in The Guardian by Dr. Anna Lemke, who wrote the book Dopamine Nation. Quote, her new book emphasizes that we are now all addicts to a degree. She calls the smartphone the modern-day hypodermic needle. We turn to it for quick fixes, seeking attention, validation, and distraction with each swipe, like, and tweet. 
Since the turn of the millennium, behavioral as opposed to substance addictions have soared. Every spare second is an opportunity to be stimulated, whether by entering the TikTok vortex, scrolling Instagram, swiping through Tinder, or binging on porn, online gambling, or e-shopping. And if you don't believe that, you're being manipulated uh, based on your brain's production of dopamine. Uh, do, do some tentative Google searching on it. It was revealed several years ago that Instagram's notification algorithm sometimes would withhold likes to deliver them in burst later. When you make your post, you may be disappointed by having fewer responses, but then you get a larger batch of likes later on, and your dopamine centers were primed by those temporary negative outcomes to respond vigorously to the unexpected arrival of social affirmation. In a Harvard study recently, I read that the subject, uh, uh, on this subject, the author says, the use of variable reward schedule takes advantage of our dopamine-driven desire for social validation, and it optimizes the balance of negative and positive feedback signals until we've become habitual users. We're being manipulated. In other words, social media is designed and continually coded to play on the chemical responses in your brain. You don't have to drive to the liquor store to find the fix or the local purveyor of your, your favorite drug. You manufacture it in your brain. And while social media as a tool may very well be a neutral between virtue and vice, the purveyors of social media are as benign as big alcohol and tobacco. The alcohol industry cannot continue to make shareholders wealthy without addiction-driving sales. Neither can social media. Therefore, we should use social media sparingly. As Paul Tripp says, either you will be getting your identity vertically from those who, who are in Christ, or you will be shopping for it horizontally in situations, experiences, and relationships in your daily life. In the Gospel Coalition, Jeff Lawrence says the perils of affirmation, the affirmation game, remain very real for leaders, and he's talking about church leaders, and only multiplied by our digital age. Our world offers continual clicks of affirmation in many forms, streams, downloads, likes, love, friends, followers, and more. An affirmation junkie can find a hit anytime he wants. Want to build your church? Start a podcast. Want to write a book? Get yourself out there. Want to be in a conversation? Tweet away. The new era of immediacy preys on the old temptation to seek affirmation in unhealthy ways. So, if we know that the algorithms and outcomes of social media platforms are directly targeting something with which most priests and deacons struggle, affirmation and addiction to this affirmation being rooted in pride, our frequency of use has to be something we consider. I would encourage you to engage in social media sparingly. Temperance is the positive counterpart to sin, the sin of gluttony, one of the cardinal virtues, temperance. St. Augustine said, temperance is a disposition that restrains our desires for things which it is base to desire. Speaking in the six, late 1600s, Bishop Beveridge says this, but I shall chiefly consider some other vices which at first seem 
sight may seem more remote to our present purpose as not depending so much upon the temper of the body as, for example, are you apt to get angry and peevish, to fret and be disturbed at every little thing that happens, as many are, this commonly proceeds from immoderate diet or constant feeding to the full, which breeds abundance of color, anger, and overheats the animal spirits, whereby they are but by constant abstinence, the color would be abated, the spirit cooled, and so the mind reduced into a sedate, meek, and gentle temper. But due to the chemical realities associated with social media, we should use it sparingly. We should exercise temperance, especially understanding that as Bishop Beveridge indicates, an immoderate diet leads to an overheating of the animal spirits. My need for affirmation and my understanding of chemicals involved in social media interactions has led me to abandon the sphere. Your mileage may vary, but I challenge you Ask your phone to track your usage. Most phones will. If it's more than the time that it takes for you to say morning and evening prayer, perhaps less is better. Generation Z is already coping with these realities as they don't remember a day in their life that it wasn't, they weren't manipulated by some way uh, of using social media. Some are taking a practical approach by coping with this always-on and always-in-the-know world. Gen Z is now the largest consumer of the flip phone. They are combating the gluttony of information by going old school. Elizabeth Dimon and I discussed a phenomenon similar to this behavior in our classic Anglican podcast episode on fasting. We talked about how the secular world was fasting in the absence of the church doing so. And it was reminiscent of the rocks crying out. And so Gen Z may be doing what natural law would impose where the church has either passively failed to fast from media or worse, egregiously contributed to gluttony. Elizabeth was, by the way, one of the archbishop's winning essayists last year. And I commend her article and the episode to you as you seek to engage sparingly. John Chrysostom has this to say, and it fits well with those of us who struggle with gluttony online. Do you fast? Give me proof of it by your works. If you see a poor man, be moved to pity for him. If you see an enemy, be reconciled to him. If you see a friend being honored, do not envy him. Do not let only your mouth fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feet and the hands and all the members of the body. Let the hands fast by being free of avarice and greed. Let the feet fast by ceasing to run after sin. Let the eyes fast by disciplining them not to glare at that which is sinful. Let the ear fast by not listening to evil talk and gossip. Let the mouth fast from foul words and unjust criticism. For what is... For what good is it that we abstain from food but devour our brothers and sisters? The Jurisdiction Episcopal Policy on Social Media states, when in doubt, be silent. Social media has trained us to believe that our private thoughts need to be public thoughts. This is untrue and has been proven time and again to be unwise. Identity in Christ. 
In the sparing amount of social media that we do use, we should use it sacredly, remembering the identity in Christ we have been given. Bishop Joseph Hall, writing on the subject of dueling in 1649, wrote, Neither your justice nor your honor may depend upon the point of private swords. And if there can be no other remedy, you must rather suffer in either than hazard your soul. In other words, the good Bishop Hall has instructed us that we should either suffer the wounds of public dishonor or be killed. But we should not defend our supposed honor in either case. This is a good admonition to us in the realm of social media. Whether we believe we are defending our own honor, that of the church, or the mission of this jurisdiction, as upright as those things may seem in time, we must remember that our bishop defends the faith and we obey the bishop. Our two previous speakers hitting those points home very clearly. When we are identified by our faith in and the faith of Christ in the Greek, pistis Christu, we participate in more than this world. In Pistis Christu, we certainly participate in more than a virtual sphere of social media. We participate in more than books, more than all the books in the world. We are, as Hans Borsma puts it, invited into heavenly participation. For those of you in the new chaplain's orientation and training, uh, the bishop talking about the idea of time and that when we enter into this sacramental time, it is a very different and holy space and it is built in this identity that we have in the faith in of Christ. We are called to lift up our hearts and thus find ourselves before the King of kings and Lord of lords. In that moment, we so closely identify with that King that we both represent and are represented, offer and yet receive because he offered once for all. That is a nearly unimaginable intimacy, and yet we imagine it with the Apostle Paul when he describes love and submission in marriage in recounting the mystery of Christ and his church in his letters, letter to the church at Ephesus. And so we are so intimately yoked with Christ, or as the Apostle says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old world is gone and the new has come, we must do all things at that level of intimacy. We must do all things with the understanding of that level of sacredness. In To Be a Christian, the ACNA Catechism, question 17 says, by what means will God transform you into the image of Jesus Christ? The answer given is, the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Following this pattern, I will be transformed within the life of the church through reading scripture and receiving the sacraments, through worship and prayer and through fellowship with God's people and loving witness to the world. Our life in Christ, the pistis Christi, means I have been transformed by the sacramental life in Christ. And if I post something, it better be sacred. Why? Because we represent Christ. We are loving witnesses to the world. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And I, for one, don't really want to spend time fashioning millstones. Put another way, Jesus tells us in the gospel according to Matthew, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will be given account for every careless word they speak. 
and chaplains, deacons, priests, brothers, and sisters, we can be guilty of careless words. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The jurisdiction Episcopal policy on social media says, social media tends towards the argumentative and divisive. Do not contribute to this milieu. Instead, seek peace. Refrain from rancorous rhetoric, which distracts from the gospel. We prophetically engage with the culture and society, but we do so in the right place, time, and tone. Holy orders. When we engage in social media, we must remember we not only represent Christ in the general sense as all Christians, but also in the specific sense as one under authority. Therefore, we must engage submissively when we sparingly and sacredly post on social media. It's not lost on me that there are only two times that our Lord was astonished in scriptures. Archdeacon Patrick referenced one of those today. The first was when the people in Jesus' hometown questioned his authority, and he was astonished at their lack of faith. The other was when the centurion unquestionably submitted to Christ's authority, and Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. This should tell us something about God's view of authority and its importance, particularly its importance in the kingdom. Each inquirer, postulant, lay chaplain, ordinan, deacon, priest, and bishop in the jurisdiction is under authority. We submit to the authority of the scriptures and the apostolic authority of our bishop ordinary. As all ordained members of this jurisdiction remain deacons, the bishop's address in the ordinal to deacons remains relevant here. Quote, it belongs to the office of the deacon to share in the humility and service of our Lord Jesus Christ for the strengthening of the church, which is his body. That was also read this morning. And with the Lord being our helper, we have promised to our bishop and to the church militant and triumphant and to Almighty God that we would, quote, be diligent to frame and fashion our own lives and the lives of our families according to the doctrine of Christ and to make ourselves and our families as much as we are able wholesome examples and patterns to the flock of Christ. This means that when we engage in social media, what we sparingly post, we must do in communion with the sacredness of our union with Christ in his humility, his service, and his doctrine, and in submission to our bishop. And as much as you and I are able to ensure that our families do as well, according to the oath that you have or will soon take. So what authority do we have to post on social media? When it comes to theology and ministry, it's actually very limited. We're not at liberty to post, I love this, this is a Bishop Mike, uh, Mike-ism, uh, thought grenades. We don't post hypotheticals to, debate, to be debated in the public sphere. We don't play devil's advocate on issues still in contention in our province or the greater Anglican communion. We don't display our conundrums and misgivings on sensitive issues. Why? It's almost impossible to do so in submission to authority under which we serve. We don't promote authors, theories, ideas, groups, or movements that may be at odds or are at odds with the direction of the bishop ordinary and his communion with the College of Bishops in the Anglican Church in North America. So what do we post? 
we have an entire book of common prayer. You can almost hear Jim Gaffigan saying that, right? We have a book of prayer. Daily collects, weekly collects, holy day collects, blessings, prayers, scriptures, charges, confessions, acclamations, the liturgical seasons, and much, much more. We have a wonderful ancient tradition of lesser feasts and fasts from which you can post. We have a range of missions that we are doing as chaplains, which you can tell a story about what Christ is doing in and through the ministry to which you have been called. Make posts about baptisms, confirmations, weddings, services, ministries in the field. We have an entire ETF website with books of the month, podcast episodes, blog articles, journals, and other recommended resources, all approved by our jurisdiction that you can and need to highlight on social media. And if this is not enough, please refer to point one of this lecture. Post sparingly. In all seriousness, we are under holy orders and are stewards of the ministry granted to us. We serve at the pleasure of the bishop under his authority and apostolic ministry. Our jurisdiction Episcopal policy on social media says, our first concern is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our social media life and email should reflect that. We are never not clergy, chaplains, or representatives of Christ in his church. Further, we also represent our bishop, the jurisdiction, and each other, and the institution for whom we minister as chaplains. Before you put something into the public domain, think. Likewise, before you even type, think. The same applies for email. Before you write it, ask yourself, how would it be read by a third party, before a court, in the newspaper, on a blog, or when the book of life is opened on the last day. I thank you for your time and attention this afternoon as we humbly approach the ministry of social media. I pray that as you do, avoid the temptation of pride. Enter into this arena sparingly. And when you do, please always do so sacredly and submissively as one under authority. This is the prayer that is prayed over priest by our bishop that you see on the slide here. Take it up and read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. In this loving and stern reminder, our obligation to holy orders and the ministry to which Christ calls us is clarion. Grant also that we may have grace to hear and receive what we shall deliver out of your most holy word. It is a great joy to be before you today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Classic Anglican Podcast. We look forward to being with you during our next episode. To learn more, join us online at www.anglicanchaplains-etf.org. Until then, stay strong in the Christian faith once received and keep Anglicanism classic.